I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back, beautiful mama. One of the key things I have learnt over the last few years of working with so many mamas, but also working on myself, is that we carry beliefs within us that don't serve us. They have been handed down by our own mothers and then their mothers, or the society we live in, beliefs and stories and stereotypical things that we think we should be doing that we unconsciously just follow. We live our lives according to these unconscious beliefs or stories and it's what causes us so much suffering. In my key program, Redefine, which is a 40-day program for mamas to really start looking at themselves, what they believe about themselves, what their identity is and how they're being transformed through motherhood, we do this a lot. We look at the stories we might be carrying and what we're telling ourselves about what it means to be a good wife, a good mother, a good woman. And so when a book landed on my desk, which is all about the stories we tell ourselves and redefining them, of course, I had to reach out to the author. Jeanette Schneider is a mama in America. She is currently creating a new media company that will have an app that includes meditations and content and podcasts called Live Well. But she's also the author of a beautiful new book called Law, L-O-R-E, as in the folklore that we're told. And as she writes at the beginning of the book, Law invites you to explore the folklore of your life. What's the folklore of your life, Mama? What are the stories that you have been carrying that you believe you need to live What are the definitions of being a good mama? What legacy are you creating for your own children? What is the law that you live your life by? This podcast excited me so much. These are the types of conversations that give me goosebumps and fill me up. This is what I think we should be talking about when we look at matrescence. What is your identity What are you ready to be free of that may have been handed down to you? And even more importantly, what law are you creating for future generations? Have a listen and let me know whether this excites you as much as it did me. This is the Happy Mama Movement a weekly podcast dedicated to changing the conversation about what it means to be a mother and a woman in this day and age. I'm Amy Taylor-Cabaz, 
author, mama, and former journalist. After spending 15 years chasing news and burning myself out trying to be Superwoman, I realized that I was chasing a dream that no longer served me. And since then, have dedicated myself to understanding the transition that we go through as women when our whole identity shifts with motherhood. Every week, I will bring you the very best insights and inspiration I can find to help us all change the way we feel about this time in our lives and create a movement that allows us to honor motherhood differently. Jeanette, thank you so much for joining the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I have been loving reading your book and can't wait to share the insights with all of my mama tribe. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Oh, thank you so much. This is a subject that's so near and dear to my heart. So absolutely, I'm I'm glad to be here. So as I shared in the introduction, analyzing the stories that we carry with us is a really big part of what I believe motherhood allows us to do. Often we're almost unconscious of those stories that we're telling ourselves, perhaps what society has told us is right or wrong. And we are totally unconscious of that until this beautiful experience of motherhood begins. And it's like a divine opportunity for us to look at who we are and who we want to be. And so the idea of law, the the laws that we carry within us and into our lives, can you start by explaining to everybody what you mean by that? Absolutely. Um, Lore, the name of my book, um, lends to folklore, the folklore of our lives. And I really came out on the title because of my own relationship with my grandmother and before her passing, some of the knowledge that she shared with me. Um, and I really started to dig into that, especially as I become, became the mother to a little girl and wanted to create conscious messaging for her as well. And I started to really kind of unpack that lore um, because what I was learning in my uh, experience with my grandmother was that a lot of the things that we believe throughout the course of our lives aren't necessarily true and they're not the things that we should concentrate on. So you have the good lore, which is the moments of... Um, kind of like almost divine insight in these opportunities that I had to, to hear from her, like how important it is to really pay attention to the small things in life and to love each other and the people around you and not get so caught up in, in small struggles versus the lore that we carry that has so much more to do with our conditioning and programming socially, generationally, culturally around what we should look like, who we should be, who we should love, how we should enter um, the workforce and relationships. And I think it was kind of the the transition of my my grandmother onto you know her moving from one this life to the next and becoming the mother to a daughter that really made me dig into my own lore and and study it um, and with that came this beautiful community of women who shared with me their own stories and their own awareness of messaging that they'd received uh, and how impactful not only our moms, but our, our families and our communities are in the way we view ourselves without even realizing it. Yes, I think that's the most important thing and often the hardest thing to realize is that we have so many stories within us about how we should act 
be, what our relationships should look like, what type of person we should be now that we're a mother. And it's so unconscious that sometimes when you start shining a light on it, when you start questioning this and uh, trying to redefine it, as I talk about, it's actually quite scary how unconscious we are of these stories we carry. It is scary, but it's it's also a beautiful invitation to really get to know yourself. I remember when I first started pulling at the messaging and saying, okay, what, did I, what do I actually believe? One of the things I realized is that I did not have any true ties to my faith or the faith that I was raised in. And so it's almost like I can, I can communicate scripture. I can communicate belief systems, but I don't actually connect to them. So is it really fair for me to share them with my daughter? So while the work is scary, and sometimes I think we have a tendency not to want to pull at those beliefs because that could also mean that we become unpopular in the eyes of our family or in our loved ones, because they're still bought into certain messaging, you know, messaging and stories. I think it's, it's a really beautiful thing because it's created an opportunity for me to really um, take a pause, dig into what I believe, and then create conscious messaging on a go forward. So yeah, the, the scary is there, the resistance is there, mm-hmm. but I look at my daughter who's now eight and the conversations that we now have and her ability to weigh what things feel like in her heart or in her her gut versus what she's being told and her question when she comes home from school and says, is this true what they said? Because that doesn't feel right. Those are the moments where I'm like, yeah, that that the painstaking work was worth it because I'm helping this little person um, build more of a self-awareness and confidence in her own kind of internal gears, her own internal belief systems. She's, she's developing her own self-talk and belief systems because I was willing to dig into mine. And what about on a grander scale in terms of what society has told us as women and as mothers we should be and the cultural messaging and those types of bigger forces that really affect the law we live by and we believe? I feel like we're at a beautiful time in history where this is starting to be questioned perhaps on a big scale in the media, in big conversations. But what about within yourself on a much smaller and personal scale? How does those messages that we've grown up with about what it means to be a good girl and a good mum, how does that affect us, do you think? Oh, well, I did a ton of research when I was writing my book and I had quite a few women share their stories um, about those effects with this small little, you know, kind of, messages that you receive and how they actually show up throughout the course of your life. So there was a direct correlation between a mother's view of her body and a daughter's self-talk and and body image. Um, If mom and dad did not talk about healthy relationships and sex with their child, how that sometimes led to promiscuity or um, kind of a divorcing of self when in relationship. So it's, it's very interesting to kind of dig in and say, okay, well, these small little things may have happened during the course of my childhood, but how am I playing them out throughout the course of my life? And you can see them. And I wrote a a love letter to my younger self as part of this exercise. And that's included in my book. Um, And the first sentence after I went through all the visualizations was, you will spend most of your life believing you are unlovable. And for me, that was such a huge shock to the system. And you can't turn away from finding a message like that. And it wasn't that anyone in my life ever said, Jeanette, you are unlovable. But there was a series of 
comments or communications or just even being ignored at times that made me to believe that I was not worthy of love. But I was carrying those forward, not only into future relationships with men, but also in the work environment, walking in as if I was unworthy and I would just accept whatever they would give me. Um, And then from a grander scale and perspective, I think we are in a really amazing time in history where we have a chance to take a step back and realize that we have bought into patriarchal systems of power, not to any fault to the men in our lives, but simply because we have been prone to more advertising and social constructs that we have to kind of unwind right now. And while I do believe it begins with the woman and I believe that our influence as a protector and guide and almost like life concierge for our children helps them to walk into a different work environment or relationship and create boundaries. And there's, this is a larger conversation. Um, but we're also kind of knocking at it from, from the perspective of corporate America and media. So by the time our girls get to, um, they graduate high school or move into college or heading into their careers, the conversation has been had both in the home and in the workplace. Exactly. When I first started really diving into how we as a culture and a society value motherhood, I've always thought that it is within ourselves that we need to start changing the value that we place on being a mum, but also in the society around us. And eventually I would love to be able to go into workplaces and talk to them about motherhood in a different way so that when my daughters, if they choose to be a mother, will not have to walk back into a workplace that views that as such a different or undervalued role. It is it's like that beautiful quote from the Dalai Lama, the West, the world will be saved by the Western woman. And I think that is really what we're starting here is that when we begin to analyse the stories, the expectations, the law that we might have been handed down and begin to change it within ourselves and in our home, we are creating a ripple effect of change for our kids. Oh, you just gave me goosebumps because I talk about this all the time. <laughs> um, that's my my purpose in life. You know, I, I came up through corporate America. I was a you know executive in, in finance and made a shift because I realized um, that I have a platform and I have a voice, and I also have all of this data and knowledge to explain why we need women and girls in positions of power. And if we can change the mind of one woman and we can affect her parenting or her communication or her messaging to one child, that ripple effect goes forth for generations. There's the opportunity to affect the next generation and beyond by simply kind of shining a light to this conversation and helping people realize how deeply conditioned we have become and how to think for self, but in a way that also brings in the community. Exactly. And this is how we make that change. Can I can I circle back to something that you said before, because it's something I really wanted to sure. hear, hear more of when we spoke. All throughout your book, you share the exercise you alluded to about writing a letter to your younger self. And I always want this podcast to be both inspiring and really great listening, but also practical. So when I read this exercise and the stories that you share from other women's letters are just so profound, it made me emotional at some times and also made me really think about 
what stories I might want to tell my younger self are not true. So can you share with us what that exercise was and how you do it and and what you've seen the outcome of this is in all of those women? Absolutely. It was actually a mistake, which not a mistake, but it was a, it was like one of those like things that you don't plan to happen. Originally the idea behind the love letters and writing a love letter to your younger self was simply because I wanted to offer a platform for viral mentorship. I wanted really successful women to share, you know, the stories of their lives. So as in a way to be really um, inspiring to others. And I walked them through this visualization where I asked them to look at a younger version of themselves to really get clear on what she looked like her emotions, um, what she needed, what she was wearing, where she was, and really kind of tap into that younger version of themselves and then find out what she needed from them. And as these women started sending me their letters, they were like, Jenna, that was therapy I was not expecting. Like we originally thought it was going to be a little bit more saccharine Mm -hmm. and we'd get letters about your your eyebrows or, you know, like, hey, wear sunscreen and dump the boy that tells you this or whatever. And what we got were these just deep messages um, about worth and value. And uh, there's several women who had experienced trauma who'd either been um, the victims of sexual violence or one of them who'd been the victim of a terrorist attack. And their messaging of hope and resilience, there's so much more to the human spirit than the advice to worry about tweezing or waxing or whatever. And so these love letters really started to shine a light on what we believe about ourselves and kind of a, almost like a oh, a morning of innocence to some extent. A lot of the women talked about this young girl and they took on this very nurturing tone. And it was in a lot of ways, reparenting of self saying like, I know what I know now. Now I suddenly that I've tapped into this younger version. I recognize, I believe things that were untrue. How am I going to bridge the gap between her and who I am today? And then separate and apart from that, I also believe in really tapping into that future version of yourself. So once you've had a chance to really kind of create a beautiful healing process and forgiveness um, using that visualization and this love letter to your younger self, you then walk into uh, a foundation of what your future self and how that part of yourself can lead you um, to, to change the change the constructs. You know, when I wrote about being unlovable, it really affected the way I entered relationships. And I had been divorced for several years and I completely changed the paradigm of how I moved into relationships by simply doing that work, pulling it out of me, looking through it, understanding how I was carrying that message forward and then shifting it out of myself so that I could then walk into my next relationship feeling lovable and capable and worthy um, and, and bring great value of self into my next relationship. There's so many powerful things in that. I, my mind is buzzing with all the different questions I want to ask you. <laughs> First of all, I think it's really important for the mamas to listen, that are listening to know that this isn't always about a big traumatic moment. As you share in your book, and I have the same experience, there might not be a particular time you were looked in the eye and said, you are unlovable, but they're small messages, little things that you've picked up along the way that have formed this belief system. 
And so you might not think, oh, but I didn't have this traumatic event. I didn't have that particular event happen to me. But actually, when you do this exercise, and I've seen similar things in the hundreds of mamas that I've worked with over the years, we're so much more wise than we realize. There is a pattern there that comes to light and it's phenomenal how you gather these little bits of evidence through your early years and Mm -hmm. form this unconscious belief that might be sitting there. And that's why this exercise is so important. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing the work and the catharsis that I've seen come from this. I actually had um, a man do the exercise and it was really interesting how no matter whether you're a boy or a girl, man, woman, what child, um, we're all very much alike. And he and his sister had experienced, um, his father tried to commit suicide multiple times when he was a child. And um, they each took something different from the experience. And in his love letter to his younger self, he wrote, it's okay to come out of the car. Because when he was a little boy, he hid in the car, locked himself in like the third or fourth time they were at the hospital. And that also... That was the representation of what he did with his emotions. He refused to allow anyone to connect with him, to love him. He said, I could, I could say that I loved someone and I went on to be married and have children, but I could never feel the feeling of love because I was so emotionally removed. And a year later, he recently reached out and said, like, I walked into a room the other day and for the first time, I could feel people's emotions. I could see someone that had joy on their face. I could see someone was sad. You know, it's, it's just amazing how tapping into these versions of ourselves, be it trauma or small messaging, whatever it is, gives you the opportunity to reframe things um, on a go forward basis. And I love the idea that if you don't heal some of the messaging that you received, your child will have to. We don't even realize that we're doing that. We're continuing kind of patterns or belief systems unconsciously. So if you don't take the time out to actually pull these things from you, at some point in time, your child will likely have to. Oh, exactly. And I feel that is the greatest reason to keep going with this. As we said earlier, it might be scary and confronting, but this is what our children need. And Mm -hmm. often there's a messaging around focusing on yourself, especially as a woman and a mother is selfish. And actually it is the most selfless thing to do is to look within and heal your stories, to redefine what it means to be a woman a healthy person, a loving partner, any of those stories, it is the most selfless thing, isn't it? Oh, I agree. I say, I say that all the time. I'm like, it's the, the best thing that you can do for those you love is to work on yourself. I believe self-development is the key to social change. I truly believe that if you spend the time and, and self-care is like a rapper word at this point where people are like, it, they use it almost as an excuse for bad behavior sometimes. Um, or, or to indulge. And they don't realize that self-care also includes really understanding self and, and uncovering some of these bristly, uncomfortable things um, in order to change the paradigm. And I think you, have, you owe it not only to yourself, but to your children and the people that you love to be the best version of you possible. And that's not selfish. That's, that's love for self and other. Mm. 
Just to finish up, you also spend a lot of time in your book and in your work talking about the the good law, as you said right at the beginning, about those messages that you that you heard from the loved ones in your life as they came to the end of their life, and. Mm-hmm almost the reprioritizing that often it was quite surprising even your very strict grandfather how much in the end he said none of that really matters the only thing that matters are the people that are around your bed in those last days so let's balance out that tough conversation of the mm-hmm. deep inner work with also talking about the good law the law that you do uncover when you clear out those old stories of what really is important And I think that I just got goosebumps as you were talking because it was such a, it's such a great memory. It's such a great message that, um, at the end, and and I take so much of my experience from end of life conversations. I've had three of them where people had lived long, beautiful lives. My grandmother, my grandfather, and a client who is very much like a grandfather to me and everything that they were known for, or that they preached to their children was up for questioning at the time of their passing. There was a reprioritization prioritization and each of them had something that they needed me to know before they moved on. And I think that was such a beautiful lesson that I now make decisions from that end of life version of myself. Like I'll imagine myself, you know, surrounded by family, like they were passing on my lore and saying, what really mattered in my life? What did it matter that I was W2 employee and that I went on great vacations and provided a healthy life? Or does it matter that I loved my child so much that she entered healthy relationships? Does it matter that like, what is really the end of the day important? What do you want your legacy to be? And what your children pass on generationally after you and work backwards? Think of that good lore that you would pass down and that I've been so blessed to receive from these loved ones. And how would those words look coming out of your mouth what kind of grandchildren, great-grandchildren, what kind of, what is the ripple effect that you want to leave when you're leaving behind your Laura at the end of your life? Mm, I love that. I think that's a really great thing to keep in mind that this isn't just about retrospection and looking at perhaps the pain or the stories you carry, but also to look forward right to the end and what is it that you want your legacy to be how do you want the coming generations to remember you and to live and how do you want them to live it's a beautiful a beautiful way to look at our life and motherhood in particular thank you so much Jeanette I am loving your book oh I'm so glad that means it just means the world to me when people are when it's you take to it and you and I are very aligned in in what we believe in and our messaging. So I'm just thrilled that you're enjoying it. Thank you. Okay. Did that excite you as much as it did me? These conversations are what I want this podcast and matrescence to be all about. No longer will we just go through life accepting the stories that have been handed down to us. We are here to change the way motherhood is valued, to change the way women are valued, to get rid of this old belief of what we need to be doing to be happy and healthy and successful and redefine it ourselves. It is a beautiful time in these conversations, Mama, and you're a part of it just by listening to this podcast. Please share it with your Mama friends. This is how we change the law that we live by. Share and leave a review on iTunes and spread it far and wide so we can really make a difference. 
And of course, please jump on and have a look at everything the amazing Jeanette is creating. Her website is JeanetteSchneider.com and the book that we talk about throughout this interview is Law, L-O-R-E, published by Balboa Press. Jump on her website and have a look at it. Until next week, everyone. Satnam. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.